0: Welcome back to 96 Greer's, a podcast where we watch every feature film with Judy Greer in the cast. I'm Reg Lynn and I'm Patrick Repole. This is episode three of 96 Greer's, and we will be discussing the 2020 horror film Good Boy. Um, this is a movie that is available on Hulu. Uh, it is part of the Bloomhouse Productions Into the Dark series. Um, Patrick, had you heard of this movie before we started looking into Judy Greer's filmography?
1: Uh, no, absolutely not. I had seen a couple of the Into the Dark uh, Bloomhouse series, and i the two that i saw i thought were both very bad so i didn't look further
0: do you remember the the titles that you saw
1: um oh gosh one was stuck in an elevator one was called they come knocking they were both extremely generic and sort of just poorly directed and just it was just sort of like i could be watching anything right now and I'm, i don't know why i'm watching this
0: yeah i saw i saw one of these series i think the title might have been Pure. It was a um, sort of folk horror esque kind of thing set in at a at a purity culture camp. Um, yeah, it, it was it was all right. I mean, I mean, there were things about it that I liked. There were things about it that definitely fell short. Um, I we looked into this and the uh, the Into the Dark series. It's it's feature length horror films, so it's sort of an anthology series, but they. Have sort of a loose theme around holidays, <laughs>
1: which they do not show in marketing or in the movies themselves yeah. or anything,
0: or, or even the title of the series has nothing. It, it has nothing to to suggest that it's holiday themed.
1: Yes, I do know that one was April Fool's Day themed. Uh, it's that one's just called "I'm Fucking With You." um but i didn't i never watched that and then the mm-hmm. other two i watched i did not connect them to holidays when i was watching them
0: yeah w- when i looked into this series i saw that the one that i saw that was about like um evangelical purity culture was like the fathers day episode or oh, no 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 it was it wasn't even that it was the daughters day episode <laughs> yeah, so they, some they, of they these they really writers and yeah they're their... really stretching
1: yeah, well, they, so so here's the thing is that When things go direct to streaming services, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were made for those streaming services. Mm -hmm. And a lot of movies that we just see like, oh, yeah, that popped up on Netflix and you've never heard of before. What that did was it played some horror movie festivals locally, places. Right. And then Netflix was the people who put in the bid that they went with. Um, But when they made it, they weren't thinking of Netflix. They weren't thinking of like, we're producing this. For Netflix, mm-hmm. it just ends up. Yeah,
0: I I make a habit of going to the Chicago International Film Fest, and I've definitely had it where um, I will see a film um, Netflix or Hulu will not at all be attached to the credits, and then it'll pop up on one of the streaming services and say a Netflix original or an Amazon Prime original or you know whatever the wh- whatever the, the platform is, and it's like, oh, um, I guess you made it an original way after the fact. Yes,
1: that that wh- what that means is they said hey, if we give you this money, can we say that we made it? Or can we make people believe that we made it? And then they go, well, no one else is giving me money, so yes. So like that is traditionally how a lot of these independent horror films exist, is they are made um, knowing that there is a very limited DVD market, and but there is a streaming market, and they hope they get distributed through that. And then every once in a while, one gets picked up and actually gets to play in theaters, and that's very exciting for those filmmakers. Right. Or whatever.
0: Bloomhouse has a fair amount of titles that does release into theaters. Yes,
1: yes, they're they're the most prolific uh, producers of theatrical horror films. Oh. Um, so the uh, Into the Dark series is not this. The Into the Dark series is closer to the TV movie of the week uh, model, um, and it was basically a deal that Bloomhouse made with Hulu. Where it was like, we're going to provide you these movies once a month, and they have our name attached to it, and Bloomhouse has some kind of cultural cachet, and that genre fans know what they are, and it would be a thing that keeps Hulu subscribers subscribed for an additional month, hypothetically.
0: So... What you're saying is it's like Columbo.
1: Yes, it actually is like Colum- the way that Columbo used to air was they had the mystery movie of the week and there were four different recurring characters and Columbo was one of them. And so it oh. would be like every third Saturday you would see a Columbo, but every second Saturday it would be a different character. I think um, in understanding this film and understanding all these films, you have to understand that like the TV movie model, they're also made on low budgets um, but they're, they have a different feel. They don't have as much personality to them because generally they aren't passion projects. They are just things that get assigned that it's a script that gets bought and gets assigned to that director and these actors. And we know that we can get, you know, this person who's recognizable in it and we're going to, and it's just this sort of prepackaged thing. Mm-hmm. And the time is really the big thing where it's like, we're going to shoot these extremely quickly. Whereas... A low budget, you know, amateur, uh, you know, for people who aren't in Hollywood, they could make a low budget movie over the course of a year where it's just like they shoot a little bit and then they go and break and then they get their more money and they shoot. And like they can they can they have more flexibility, whereas a lot of TV movies or movies made in this model Have very rigid, like get to the next thing, get to the next thing. No additional takes. No, you know, like Mm -hmm. no rehearsal times. We're in and out. We have, you know, in two weeks uh, from, you know, uh, the from the first rehearsal to the final edit. You know, go, go, go. Um, Not more than two weeks, but it's uh, a very quick process. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say that to say that uh, Good Boy is uh, a movie that is not necessarily like, oh yeah, it's an indie film that got sort of put on Hulu and then Bloomhouse put their stamp on it. It was Bloomhouse pre-sold a package of content. (laughs) And Uh. they said to Hulu and Hulu's like, we're going to make a deal because you have brand recognition with an audience who is a valuable streaming audience, young people who like genre films and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so all of these things are sort of, you know, do they find an audience? Do they get a following? Is anyone trying to make things that get a sequel is like all of that is really besides the point and that's kind of why all these movies end up being so uninspired whereas it's perfectly reasonable for an independent film to also be bad but but, sure. but they, they they don't always get there the exact same way which is just like everyone just kind of rushed through it and no one really cared mm-hmm. um sometimes people just make bad movies um i don't think good boys is a bad movie
0: Well, we will get into that, um, but uh, just in case folks don't have Hulu or just don't care and would just rather hear the sound of our voices, um, I'm going to make sure that we're all on the same page with a quick plot recap. Maggie is a journalist in her late 30s who is struggling to realize her dream of finding a partner and having a baby. She wants to freeze her eggs, but the local newspaper she works for goes digital and she goes from having full-time employment to a freelance gig without health insurance. When she lashes out at a co-worker, her boss Don suggests that she deals with her stress by adopting an emotional support dog. Maggie adopts a scruffy little dog from the pound, who she names Reuben. She gets a job at a coffee shop to supplement her shrinking income, where she reconnects with Annie, a friend from her hometown. Annie is married and works as a wellness influencer, which makes Maggie jealous. She decides to get back on the apps and goes on a date with Nick, bringing Ruben with her. Nick mysteriously winds up dead in the middle of the street with Ruben sitting next to him, covered in blood. Maggie writes an article about Nick's death, presuming it was a hit and run. Don tells her that it's the most popular story on the newspaper's website. At home, Maggie's landlady, Bea, yells at her for getting a dog. Maggie promises to crate Reuben while Bea threatens to evict her. Maggie goes to work where she meets a cute customer named Nate. Maggie returns home to find Reuben has escaped his crate and is again covered in blood. Maggie goes to Bea's apartment to drop off a payment and finds her disemboweled in the bathtub. Maggie realizes that Reuben killed Bea and cleans up the crime scene. Nate shows up at Maggie's building as he is the cop investigating the missing person's case. Maggie writes another successful article about Bea's disappearance and goes on a date with Nate. Her fertility specialist puts her on medication to make her ovulate, warning her that side effects include mood swings and feeling out of touch with reality. Maggie gets her paycheck from the newspaper, which is only $250. She goes to the office and confronts Don, who fires her. As she cleans out her desk, Reuben runs back into Don's office and kills him. Maggie throws Don's body off the roof to make it look like a suicide. She takes over his position as managing editor. Nate buys Maggie a nanny cam so she will feel comfortable leaving Reuben at home. One night when Maggie has Annie over for dinner, she gets a call from Nate asking questions about the murders. Maggie gets upset and accidentally cuts herself while cooking. Annie tries to calm her down by telling her that the police will get the murderer. Maggie gets more and more anxious until Reuben attacks and kills Annie. Maggie buries Annie in the desert and tearfully abandons Reuben. Nate logs into Maggie's nanny cam app and sees her dragging Annie's corpse across the floor. He confronts Maggie at her apartment when she returns from burying Annie. Reuben in big scary monster form bursts through the apartment window and kills Nate. Maggie is arrested sitting peacefully on her floor petting Reuben. Reuben is returned to the pound where a new person adopts him. The end question mark. So Patrick, you said that you didn't think this was a bad movie. No, I I quite enjoyed it. Okay. Um I didn't hate it. Oh. <laughs> but the more I thought about it, the less I liked it. Really? Yes. Um, I mean I will say okay, just to start off with with the positive. Um, this is our first movie where we get Judy Greer as a protagonist. Yes. Um because of the kind of actor that she is, this is gonna be a rare treat for the podcast. Um, to see her in a leading role. Um, and uh no surprise, she does a fantastic job. She she brings a lot of um life and personality to a character who otherwise could have been very flat and on an and uninteresting both the comedy and the
1: tragedy really come through in her portrayal of Maggie.
0: She has some really like offbeat line deliveries where it's like this character seems like, like a real person. Um, I think we'll probably get into this, but um, just with a lot of the themes of the movie, it seems like in, in less deft hands, um, Maggie could just end up kind of being a a typical Karen. Yeah. Um, But she's not, she, you, you, you have like kind of conflicting feelings about you know what she's doing and and how she's handling the the situation which makes it a much more um interesting movie that that grabs your attention um that you know a, a a lesser actor um giving a lesser portrayal um would not be able to carry this film absolutely um she also has a a really sweet relationship with the dog uh ruben um I think the dog actor's name was Chico. Yes, um, who's just the, the cutest little scruffle off. Just... Is this a, is this a Papillon with the ears? I I mean, it, it, you know, the the dog looked like a like a like a mutt. Okay. um I, I don't I don't think Ruben was a purebred, but it, but could, he could have some Papillon because he does have those like those like big fluffy mogwai kind of kind of ears. Um, but yeah, they they just got like 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 a real a real winner of a dog, just a real cute little dog. Um, and they, they have, um, and I, so, um, part, part of, uh, bringing this podcast to life means doing extensive and in-depth research. Um, so I got a copy of Judy Greer's memoir. Um, I don't know what you know me from, uh, is the name of the book, um, and she uh she is a dog lover confirmed in that she uh the book came out in i think 2011 um but she has a whole chapter devoted to um the the bulldog that she had at the time um really sweet story um you, you know you could tell that that she's like that she's really um a devoted loving pet owner um and it definitely comes through in the movie um cuz they just have i mean i mean you you can you can just she, she really sells someone who has, like, a deep affection for her dog. Yeah. Um, so those were things that I definitely did like about the movie. Um, and uh, the director, um, Tyler McIntyre, um, is uh, a, a seasoned director of horror films. Um, the other movie that he had directed that I had seen uh, was Tragedy Girls. There's a similar dynamic in Tragedy Girls that, um, that stood out to me. I don't remember too many of the details about that movie, but I just remember really loving the central friendship of of that movie and how those two characters um, really just, you know, loved each other and had a lot of, it's like two teenage girls. Um, So it was interesting to see that in this movie, there was the same kind of thing where it's, it's a gory, violent horror film, but there's also a genuinely sweet and moving relationship at the center of it. That kind of makes you feel a little ambivalent about what's going on where, you know, you, you don't quite, hate the monster um, or don't quite fear the monster or don't quite feel a hundred percent great about mm. the loving relationship that you're seeing.
1: Yeah. I, so I have a big galaxy brain, Tyler McIntyre auteur thought because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I watched cause, cause, uh, tragedy girls. I it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I seem to be the only person who like is truly on this train. So, uh, I have I've almost like stopped recommending it to people because it's just like no one seems to like, enjoy it as much as I do. I think Tragedy Girls is the like best horror comedy of the past ten years. I think it's just like the only true successor to Scream that has ever existed. Wow. Um, in which there have been a lot of movies that have tried. Um, the, the premise of Tragedy Girls it is these two cheerleaders um, who they at the beginning of the movie they kidnap a serial killer and they want him to teach them how to kill. So that they can blog about it on their true crime podcast and basically like chase social media clout um, via the string of murders that's been happening in their small town. So it's like the slasher movie in media res, where they apprehend the killer in the first scene. Very quickly they realize this guy is just like some kind of raving hillbilly type, and they're like, oh well, this guy's gross. We don't need him. So they just start continuing his murders without him, uh, and they realize, boy being a serial killer is a lot more work than it seems and it's this sort of like wacky comedy of them like just killing off all their peers and trying to uh, you know uh, do Instagram lives about it and stuff And but they're just yeah they're adorable like you mentioned their friendship is just so wonderful and my big galaxy brain Tyler McIntyre thing is this he has this approach to uh, horror protagonists that I think is fairly unique which is this like he has like sympathy for a girl boss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah.
1: There, there is so I'm I'm really interested about femininity in horror. Like we mm. like forever, horror protagonists have like always been women, uh, or you know not not literally every single movie, but like it's it's very common. The for final our, girl. Uh, yeah, in you know final girl is like a trope that you associate with like slasher movies, but like all horror movies, they tend to lean towards female protagonists. And mm. like sometimes that is for interesting reasons, and then sometimes it's because like the men who make these movies think it would be gay if a guy screamed, so they need <laughs> they need to, they need to have a character who's able to like scream and cry and run right. uh, without seeming gay or whatever. So right.
0: So like there's also if you don't have a lady in your movie, you can't have boobs in your movie. Yeah, so.
1: I mean, yeah. So I mean the 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 lead is not always the one who's getting maker or whatever. but yeah, you, that's that's right. Like, there's there's plenty of takes on like women in movies, and I think especially in like the past uh, five to ten years or whatever, there has been a shift of like movies that are now actively attempting to discuss uh, sort of feminist issues mm-hmm. or like look at look at the genre through a feminist lens and things like that. And so it's actually like very common. For horror audiences, which for a long time were presumed male, to now producers just presume people care about women's stories and we will see horror movies about women's stories and about, you know, trauma and all that sort of thing. Um, but the thing that is still pretty rare is, like, unabashed girlishness and, like femininity in the protagonist mm-hmm. because they think that's like a step too far and that will scare off dudes that's my fear I've never been in these meetings but like mm. I just get the idea that there's like the final girl uh trope like she's usually the like the masculine character she's not the girly girl she's like more sexually timid she's not sexually liberated right um that you don't have a lot of uh of these characters who like have super feminine interests uh you you they don't they tend not to dress in bright colors they tend to dress more muted and mm-hmm. like it's this it's this thing where it's like we want women but we don't want women who uh, exist in a in a way that make men feel alienated <laughs> still
0: yeah yeah like like Sydney in the Scream series like right. she's a lot more serious than yeah. her friends she she's does very to, athletic yeah she's, yeah very reserved and very practical I mean I guess as the series go on it does become more and more about like her uh the like. Exponentially culminating trauma that she experiences and how that affects her as a person. But yeah, she's very. But
1: it's her friends who are like blonde and like wearing pink clothes and stuff. And she's the one who shows up to these like uh, sorority rush dressed in black and everyone's like, what's her deal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Speaking of which, uh, her best friend in Scream 2 is played by Elise Neal and she is the doctor in this movie. So there's a little Scream 2 reference. Anyway, Tyler McIntyre really fully embraces femininity in his characters Mm -hmm. and he is very much about like i want to make stories about like girls who want to achieve great things on social media i want to make stories about like women like when you look at a movie and you have the scene where on the first date the woman asks about kids, mm-hmm. that is always framed as like, "Boy, what a first date from hell!" Am I right? Yeah. You're a real, real kooky nut. We yeah. barely even know you. You're asking about, it. and this is like, no. What if that woman has a really good, good reason to ask about children on the first date? Yeah. Like, what if having children is something that is a valid thing to want and to you know and and to be concerned about?
0: Also, also with this film, the fact that Maggie is in her late 30s. And I mean, that that does put a lot of um, pressure on um, someone with a uterus who wants to bear their own children, being of that age. I did really like the first date scene where she kind of... Awkwardly shoehorns the conversation. <laughs> it's not the
1: smoothest move doing a Karate not. Kid transition. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like it's like the minute someone says "kid," she's like, it's "Speaking of kids." Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, she does ask him, and then um, and then he says to her, "You know, well, I'm 36. I've got time." And you just kind of see. Um, the disappointment behind her eyes. And and you get like, yeah. okay, you know what this character's yeah. going for. You know what's really on her mind a, right now. I'm and a 35-year-old kind of, man who
1: never wants kids in my life. And like I, in that one moment right there with Judy Greer's acting and the way the script is and the way it's directed, I was like, okay, I'm absolutely in her headspace. I yeah. totally feel for her.
0: Yeah. I think it was a really interesting choice to have a... Uh, a horror film protagonist who's also of that age, because usually it's younger people, it's yes. teenagers, college kids. You know, it's it's usually not um, a, a woman in her later thirties. Right, right. And
1: I, so I think the thing that is really interesting about Tyler McIntyre's movies is he is not someone who is like social media is healthy and cool and it's good that we all want to be famous or whatever, Mm -hmm. but he seems to understand it enough to understand why there's a draw there right? and to understand like why people are affected by it. And that, that this is me talking about tragedy girls, but like in general, um, he has like so much sympathy for Maggie in this movie and for, her plight and it's like yeah it is it's and um a big
0: part of the plight is that she is a journalist at a traditional print newspaper which is being bought out by a conglomerate and turned into an online who knows what so then she goes as i said in the in the in the synopsis um you know she's going for fertility treatments because she has health insurance through her full-time job and then all of a sudden whoops she's a freelancer for a blog good luck with going to you know your primary doctor to get a z-pack because you have a sinus infection
1: yeah yeah so um there, there's a lot of pressures being put on her and it's it's really impressive that this movie is able to carry on such this sort of light horror comedy tone mm-hmm. when it really is just piling on all this fr- financial and uh you know r- genuinely like existential anxiety yeah uh, when, when it comes to uh, her desire to have children mm-hmm. and, and the time running out like, yeah
0: what you were saying before about the distrust of social media but also having some empathy for people who latch on to that um the 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 best friend character Annie in this um is an influencer but there does seem to be a bit more humanity and ambivalence than um than a stereotypical Instagram influencer would have where um she does have a scene where she's like I don't have my life together and sometimes I'm scared and I'm stressed out and I feel like I can't I can't show that to anyone because that's not part of my brand. So it's like, you know, she's trying to make her life and she's trying to do what she what she wants to do, but she's painted herself into a corner, you know. And and so it's not just a movie where um where someone has has made this decision to um make their their persona um part of how they make money and how they make their way in the world and it's not just like judging her and punishing her right. for it. It's not it. just
1: like oh what well, you know, she's shallow and terrible and and yeah. manipulative. Like th- this is a movie where like the woman carrying around her adorable little dog everywhere and saying it's her emotional support animal is not a punchline. The woman, you know, bringing up kids on the first date is not a punchline. The her her best friend who is a wellness uh, you know, uh, influencer is a, like a little bit silly, but like, yeah, a like, real fully formed human being.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and where where Maggie is jealous of her because she's younger, she's married, you know, she has a she's like a cool job. And you can see that there's jealousy, but there's also real affection between them. Right, right.
1: Um And so the, it's all of these these choices that um, ultimately like the way the story is told and the way it plays out and how effective it is as a horror movie, they're not necessarily like greatly affected by these choices. It doesn't become a radically different movie than the blog line, which is woman's emotional support dog kills all the people who makes her anxious. Right. Um, but it's just, it's just enough there that, uh, especially supported by a performance like Judy Greer's. That every step of the way, I was like, I was really on board. And then there's the, there's the little twist. And I don't know if this is can sit necessarily a twist, but like, there's a version of this plot where I say, we know that something mysterious happened um, to Ruben's former owner. Right. And, and he ended up
0: back in the pound.
1: We don't know what.
0: Right. The, the the staff person at the pound has sort of a toss off line where oh this little guy's former owners in prison and that's all you get right and maggie
1: is a journalist so there's a version of this plot where then it becomes an investigative horror thing where she like is like doing all this research and going into this you know you know in- interviewing these people and trying to figure out where ruben came from but instead she says Good boy. And then she just like embraces it. And that to me is the twist where it's like she is doing terrible things, like covering up these murders and profiting from them. Like, in there's this, uh, there's a Roger Corman horror movie from the late 50s called Bucket of Blood where this, uh, hapless uh, sort of dork in the hip world of beatniks Oh, he keeps yeah. accidentally killing people and then putting clay on them and cu- passing them off as sculptures and everyone <laughs> thinks he's a great artist and he just like <coughs> ascends in the ranks of this subculture because of his accidental art yeah. and he just goes with it. And this, there's a little bit of a bucket of blood thing where it's like she just happens to be where all of these people are getting killed by Ruben. So the stories that she writes about them are doing very well because they're well reported, I guess. And they're just like vicious, gory story. It's like she was the culture editor and now she has become the if it bleeds, it leads
0: reporter. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you bring a bu- bucket of blood because the same thing that the protagonist played by, by Dick Miller is the same thing where he's just like he's just a sweet guy and you feel for him even though he's a serial killer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, and so, like, the, that's where, like, my the little, like, sympathy for a girl boss kicks in, where it's, like, Tyler McIntyre, I don't think is, like, it's really good that she's doing these things and getting what she wants out of her career and, like, becoming the man, the, you know, like, we've established that being the managing editor of this former newspaper, which, by the way, very funny joke, the newspaper's called The Valley Yeller, like, that's an old yeller joke, because oh. it's a dog movie and the newspaper's being put up. Yep. The Valley Yeller. Oh, <laughs> layers. So all like right. we've already established like sort of, it's kind of like a craven, uh, shitty managerial job where you are like keeping these people's hopes up as you're uh, sort of using them and not paying them what they're worth.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then she becomes that and then they all go out and celebrate and you're like, well, okay, I guess. <laughs> and it's like because we've had that first 30 minutes where we just see how terrible everything in our life could be going mm-hmm. and how crushing financially and mm-hmm. even, even though like, there's no evil characters like there's just there is just a slimy sense even from the medical profession where it's just always go back to like you know it probably won't work but uh you, you should probably try real quick let's go $10,000 an yeah. and then an additional 5000 and then an additional 10000 like yeah. like there is this feeling where it's like is this just a fucking racket where they just get these nervous uh, women in their like early 40s late 30s and harvest their eggs and get paid and like
0: <laughs> yeah yeah where, where it's, it's just sort of this, this cultural pressure for her to to have kids right um, and it's the same thing with her landlady Bea is taking advantage of her at the beginning there's sort of an oh surprise you have a parking lot fee now we're not raising your rent but it's just a fee um and then you know um threatening to evict her over the dog so you know when when the landlady dies of course we're all like hell yeah let's see that that parasites intestines strewn all over her bathtub but then her her niece shows up just to you know take care of things and kind of keep things going because her, her family member has disappeared and ends up taking the fall for Maggie and Maggie doesn't do anything about it.
1: Right. And it's like, it's, it's because Judy Greer is very charming. It's because it has this comedic tone and it's because we saw that first 30 minutes of like just how bad things were for her before you're kind of like okay, like I get it. I get why you're doing. I get why you're like this uh-huh. now. It's not a scold. It's not like what a bitch. It's like <laughs> it's a movie that is sort of like celebrating this insane thing. And it's uh-huh. and Tragedy Girls doesn't do this. It's not structured a similar way. But Tragedy Girls at least is like, but you're friends and you're doing it together. So I guess I support you in killing that. Yeah, woman.
0: and it's yeah, it's like they're they're kids. I had a very different response to her being a journalist and not doing any sort of research into what was going on with Reuben that was something that bugged me about the movie <laughs> to be quite honest I mean I I agree with you it is it is funny when she realizes what's going on and then she then her reaction is good boy you know like like that's a that's a very funny moment but at the same time it it really got on my nerves watching this movie where there's not an explanation of why this dog is murderous not saying that there has to be one but it it just seems like whenever it comes up you know maggie is just like i don't know why this is happening i don't know what's going on and it's like well if you're a journalist don't you have some maybe if not like you know maybe if you don't have you know your informants in the veterinary cryptozoological medicinal science world at least maybe you have like the natural curiosity to look into it and try and figure out what's going on that that felt like a plot hole to me
1: it is a pl- no it is a plot hole but to me i will i will like just warmly embrace any plot hole that saves me the tedium of scenes that i know aren't interesting and, that, okay.
0: Okay. That's, that's fair. That, that... And to
1: me, like her not asking really reasonable questions that an intelligent person would, mm-hmm. but instead asking, how did you do this? You're only 10 pounds. <laughs> like that's like, okay, If you, is it's like, just make a plot hole as long as you can make a
0: joke alongside it. I, I guess. I, mean, I, th- I, I think it just sort of I, bugs me where it's like she's on her smartphone Googling like dog murder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Is yeah. my dog a murderer? And it's just like, come on, you can do better than this. yeah
1: No, it's a silly, it's a silly thing. I think there becomes a point when you become so familiar with the genre you can perhaps overvalue novelty and anything that mm-hmm. doesn't follow the plot exactly as you expect it to just becomes a delight because because you're just sort of on rails getting the thing you expect. It's sort of like you start listening to a punk song and then the saxophone comes in. You go, oh, I thought I was doing three chords and power chords, but now there's a little guy on top (laughs) wailing on a saxophone. X-ray specs? All right. (laughs) Like, Like to me... To me, like I, it is a plot hole, but um, it because it's a comedy, it's not necessarily something I was worried about, and it just it moves so quickly.
0: This movie doesn't waste any time with setting up who you're dealing with, what the stakes are. Um, I almost felt like the kills were a little too quick, and maybe that was like a that's like what you're talking about about before, where it's like these are these are low budget movies. Um, the the turnaround time on them is relatively quick, but. All of the kills, there's no time to build up tension. You get these sort of like point of view from the shadows of the back of the victim and then cut and then cut back and there's a bloody corpse so it, I was underwhelmed by that
1: I absolutely was underwhelmed and so that the next question is oh so is it a good horror movie and it's like no no it is, it's not it is a bad horror movie it is not scary uh, or like novel in its violence
0: horror wise the only thing that I liked about it was um, the, the final kill at the end the climactic moment where Nate gets it and you see Ruben's monstrous form and you see where, where you know how does a 10 pound dog do that and the reveal is an actual puppet and it's not CGI. Yes. That was very exciting to me.
1: Yes. Um, and, and, and it's funny. I So I've, I've watched it twice and the second time <laughs> I was watching it with sort of uh, more of an eye towards the logistics of how you make this movie on this low budget. Oh, uh-huh. And I just, you know, you can tell by the way certain sets are repeated and the way it's lit and stuff I could just, I just pick up on the cues. It's like, all right, yeah, this is a TV movie. They made this really quickly. Um, and you, if you notice, they definitely were like very reasonable about what you can expect from a dog actor and not letting a dog actor like f- come up the works yeah so like ruben basically doesn't move on camera ruben moves in edits where like she'll go to she'll put her ruben down her mm-hmm. little he gets his say because he he eats her uh her, her ruben, her, sandwich, her ruben yeah. sandwich. Um, she'll walk away and it's gone and then she looks and he's like already on the counter yeah. there's not really any scenes where he has to walk over and hit his marks yeah there's he doesn't have to jump on anyone he really not jump, he doesn't have to growl, he doesn't have to react it's yeah. a, like a lot of the scenes where people are being attacked, they're just being pulled off screen or he's hidden under a couch or a bed or something.
0: Her boss gets the most ridiculous kill where she just looks up at the window, it's Steve Gutenberg, by the way, randomly it's Steve Gutenberg, and she just looks up at the window and you see the back of what obviously a mannequin's head and then just this massive blood spray yes. and the silhouette of his form in the window. <laughs> it was the funniest fucking moment in the whole film.
1: <laughs> I have to admit my funniest moment was her um date from hell with the realtor. Uh-huh um where he he has like he has a script memorized of what to say so he can sound like a dude who like knows about feminism. Oh and yeah. And his script is I know how dudes are. I mean not all guys, but the patriarchy. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I that's that just like such. That's such a funny line. It's like such a thoughtless. Just like, oh man, what what a perfect like. Yeah, you just did the weakest version of the dance steps you possibly had to do to yeah. fulfill a thing, and now you're moving on. Yeah. Yes. There's no suspense. There's not a lot of good effects. There's not a lot of novelty in the way that things happen. They don't really have a lot of good gags involving like what would a little dog do to kill a person because that's just all stuff that would cost too much money
0: yeah yeah and and and, and they, so they sort of do like a like a have your cake and eat it too kind of thing where it's like well he's not a little dog he turns into a monster i guess we don't really know what the deal is with that it just happens so they don't have to be too like too detailed and too byzantine in terms of like what the kills look like they they're just these like very you know um i, I think at one point um like the realtor's murder gets described as it looks like he got hit by a car and then a bear attacked him, you know? So, so it's very like, like the kind of things that you would expect, um, to see in like a gory horror film. Um, but then also because it's not a little dog and it's a monster. Again, I just, I just keep coming back to that thing of like, but is it, is he a werewolf? Is, did he escape from an experiment? Like, what's going on? Like That just really bugged me. It feels me.
1: very EC Comics to me, where, like, the twist is that it's a monster, and they, like, that's the last panel, so they don't have to describe it. Like, yeah. the sensibility. I mean, um, something that uh, I think you first observed Um, was that this film has uh, a little bit of a through line with George Romero's Monkey Shines.
0: Yes. I watched this movie and I said to myself, okay, a person who has an adorable support animal whose um, love and care for their human because they don't have a human sense of morality turns murderous. And then I remembered George Romero's Delightful movie Monkey Shines And I said Oh boy I get an excuse To rewatch Monkey Shines <laughs> Which I did In preparation For this podcast Uh yeah Which is uh, Monkey Shines Is a film
1: About a quadriplegic Who uh, Gets a helper monkey As part of Like a nearby University program And that
0: Yeah yeah He's like He is um Mr. Um Law student At the university Going out Running every morning He gets in a A car accident And he becomes A quadriplegic And then um for some reason the law student is hanging out with like a, a a experimental biology grad student who experiments on monkeys and um and he has like uh his mysterious serum that he's injecting into these cute little capuchin monkeys, uh and it's not really working out. So he's like, Well, I got a monkey to spare. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he so they find um well, if you want a monkey, I got monkeys coming out of my ass. You have a monkey. <laughs> so um yeah, so it, so then uh he um he turns this monkey over to um a, a woman who trains monkeys to be helper monkeys for folks with physical disabilities. Um, she trains the monkey and um gives it to um what's his name? Alan Alan is the the name of the of the guy who's quadriplegic um and then the, this mysterious serum not only has made this monkey very smart but it forms this uh sort of psychic link between Alan and her the monkey's name being Ella so Alan Which and- is uh,
1: somewhat implied in this film as well between Reuben and Maggie
0: yeah there so there is an implication in good boy that uh that Ruben's um, killer instinct comes on when Maggie feels anxious. And something that also stuck in my craw about Good Boy, especially comparing it to Monkey Shines, where, okay, so so Monkey Shines has kind of, um, I I kind of wrinkle my nose at the end because conveniently, Alan has a surgery which returns his mobility at the end. And at the end of the movie, he's walking again, which. I'm getting really mad about monkey shines. Hold on. Pause
1: for monkey shine feelings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so you rarely if ever have a disabled protagonist of a movie and to me having that ending feels like you're kind of subverting that and you're kind of saying to your able-bodied audience like no it's okay he's not actually disabled which or he's like re- his growth is rewarded with his yeah, ability to walk again yeah yeah which which doesn't feel like you are actually inviting the empathy for people with disabilities that you set out to do at the beginning of the movie. There's a lot in Monkey Shines that I think is really great, though, because you do see, like, um, you, you do see the details of how people with physical disabilities um, live. I mean, it was shot in the late 80s. So so you do see like, a lot of like the the assistive technology of the time, a lot of the home modifications of the time, even the idea of having a service animal, um, when it's not like a, like a seeing eye dog, which is what people usually think of when they think of service animals. So you do um, get this, this moment to empathize with someone's lived experience that you don't usually see in movies, especially horror films. Um, and I think that's, that makes monkey shines like a really great movie to watch. It's it's really um, not what you would expect from a horror a movie. Very
1: accurate uh, quadriplegic sex scene.
0: Yeah. Apparently so. Apparently so. Um, you know, you know but but there is that that sort of but at the end it's like well no but you know it's okay um i mean i mean also he is very much like a model disabled person where it's like you can't fault him and he's a law student so he's a productive <laughs> member of society and like it's okay capitalism everything's just fine and acceptable um there are limits to what we can expect from 80s yeah the, you know. yeah yeah no it's true it's true um so comparing that to Good Boy, I don't love how mental illness is handled in Good Boy. Mm -hmm. I think that the way that Maggie's anxiety shows up in the story is not really anxiety. Sure. I say this as someone who has an anxiety disorder, where everything in her life that is making her feel the way that she feels, it's very objective stressors. Like she's under a lot of work stress. She's under a lot of life stress. So she's understandably stressed out and understandably, you know, having these like emotional reactions to her situation. I don't think it's anxiety though. I mean, I mean, she's not, you you know, she's not having panic attacks. She's not, she, she's not having disordered reactions to the world around her or even to the things that she's thinking. It's all very reasonable. It's not even like, and I'm saying this with, you know, understanding that not everyone has access to, um, to medical assistance and you know, the, the way that, that, um, the way that the the medical institution is set up, it's not always going to understand what's going on with folks and accurately help people and accurately explain what's going on with people. But at no point is Maggie's state seen as like, you should go, she doesn't go to a therapist. She doesn't go to a doctor except for the fertility clinic doctor. Um, Her boss tells her, to get a dog to as an emotional support animal or after edibles. she's there or edibles things. yeah 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 that's that yeah he has yeah, he has like a tin of edibles in his office and he's like well if you're not going to go with these you should get a dog because it'll help with your anxiety and then all of a sudden it becomes oh this is my emotional support animal um so emotional support animals are different from service animals okay um you um folks with emotional support animals do aren't protected under the ADA the same way that serve that folks with service animals are. Um, But in order for an animal to actually be an emotional support animal, it does have to be um, something that is prescribed by like a therapist. So there, that is like a specific thing. So understandably, you know, people with pets get a lot of emotional benefits from the relationship with their animal with, you know, for caring for their animal. Um, but there's no line drawn in the movie um, where you know someone might just say, "Oh, I have an emotional support animal um, and just mean, oh, I have I have a pet who who in our relationship um, has a lot of benefits for my emotional wellness, which that's valid. That's great. Um, but that it's like there's also like a specific thing that is a an emotional support animal. Um, which is not the situation in this movie. There's also another, um, like, another situation, which is a service animal, which is definitely not what we're talking about in this movie. Um, and and there are um, situations in which a service animal um, can help people who have um, mental illnesses. Um, you know, so I'm I'm not saying that this movie necessarily should have been about that, but it seemed like it was just so vague in... Um, in like what the situation was, where you know, th- that too just sort of got to me, where yeah. where it was like I I kind of feel like if you're gonna make a movie about someone with anxiety, make a movie about someone with anxiety. Like, I mean, instead of instead of Maggie strugg- struggling, so so in the movie, you know, Maggie has. This goal to to have a child to to bear a child um, that she's struggling with. She goes on a course of hormones, um, and the doctor's like, "Oh, these hormones are going to make you really emotional and really like lash out at people, and just you know be be wary of that." Um, and that's kind of where her her emotions start getting out of control. And it's like, well, may- maybe you could just like actually look at like how having an anxiety disorder affects people's emotional state and actually make it about that and not just try to like shoehorn in all this stuff to, to create a situation where it's not really about the thing that you're saying it's about. This is just something that that's, I mean, I I could make a whole other podcast, which is just Reg gets mad about how people use words. Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah, Or like, yeah. Or just how, um, how mental illness can, um, or, uh, disorders can be used To just sort of wave away and justify character actions and are not fully supported by the realities of those afflictions. Um, And I think this is like just a movie that was a pitch and it was underbaked off of that pitch. I don't think it started as a movie trying to explore anything And I, I think it, and I, and I, and I totally agree with you that it's just like, it doesn't do any of that stuff well.
0: Yeah. I I just kind of felt, feel like either you veer off into she's stressed and she's, and she's stressed because of these like very real social issues, or she has an anxiety disorder. And maybe instead of like, oh no, now she's on hormones and we have to like go on a tangent about, about that. Maybe it's like maybe she's having panic attacks or maybe she, her OCD right. gets triggered or, Or if this you know. is like a
1: longer movie, if this is like a more rigorously thought out movie, you could have another character that's like a counterpoint. That's like, mm. well, we we understand that she is not actually have an anxiety disorder because here's a character who does have an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Like if there was a scene where she is in the park and she brags to someone that Reuben is her emotional support animal and the other person has an emotional support animal. And then in having conversation with Maggie, realizes that Maggie doesn't actually understand what she means when she says yeah. that Ruben is her emotional support animal. Yeah, Like, there could be a scene like that. Like, there's, there's a lot of ways you can do it without, like, you can still make this movie have this tone and be this light and fast paced and still, like, at least acknowledge the realities of what you're... Prescri- describing
0: yeah because it just it just feels like the the cultural conversation gets away from people who have um you know really urgent needs for that kind of support and it just becomes like oh did you hear about this white lady who tried to get a rabbit on a plane yeah. you know yeah it, and and that that and this movie just feels like it's adding to that which i find very frustrating for
1: me when i was watching the movie i felt it was taking half of a step in the right direction Mm -hmm. by saying well maybe the woman who is in the bar with her dog like maybe that helps her like yeah maybe before she had the dog in the bar she was like really having a bad time and it doesn't actually fully understand what that statement means but like i did feel this was half a step in the right direction at least in like presenting these uh Uh, modern day archetypes and allowing and in you know in presenting these modern day archetypes and encouraging Mm -hmm. us to empathize with them and to and to wonder what it would be like to be them and to and and to feel for them, as opposed to uh, using them as like a cheap punchline into "isn't the world crazy now?" Everybody's yeah. on their phones and blah blah. You know, <laughs> like like that's the thing I really enjoy about Tyler McIntyre. And I think actually a lot of people were turned away from Tragedy Girls because the trailer for that movie really made it look like a social media screed where it would like it just got reduced to a bunch of like quippy little lines about like uh likes and engagement or whatever yeah this movie felt like it it does a better job at that than most and so i was giving it partial credit um even if like if you fully pick it apart then it kind of does do what you're saying and sort of support the the problem in the first place yeah
0: that's fair that's fair um something else that i thought was um interesting about this movie um kind of going off what you were saying where it's looking at at current social trends that tend to be judged in, in film and TV um, was this sort of parallel between uh, having a child and caring for an animal, Um, you know, where Maggie wants to be a mother, um, but she gets this dog who is, caring for her in a way but also is sort of a, a surrogate child um and you see these like um these uh very common cultural tropes where uh where those two relationships get compared like she has that bumper sticker on her car my dog is smarter than your honor student which you don't even see until she is uh carting someone's like <laughs> body off to to dispose of it um, which is a very a very cute little detail that I enjoyed, or, or how she uh, she has little t shirts for Ruben that if not are if if aren't actually matching hers or at least like color coordinated with what she's wearing. Um, but she's not the only character in the movie who who's like that. Like in the first scene, um, you know she's at a bar waiting for her blind date and she sees a couple who have their dog in a baby stroller, mm-hmm. um, and then also there's that um sort of Maggie's internal world scene at the end where she's breastfeeding Reuben Reuben has become her child yeah yeah so so at the end those two things kind of um get merged in her mind but um that yeah but that seemed kind of interesting to me too where it it was um the movie was aware of that parallel and and how um how those things often like especially for like for pet owners treating their pets as children you thankfully don't see much of the reverse um <laughs> oh my god that would be like a whole other horror movie um where um the movie is looking at that cultural tendency but doesn't seem to be too judgmental of it well no and in, and in fact uh does
1: the reverse where there are multiple scenes in this movie where um, it, it, there's the start where she encounters the couple with the Shih Tzu and the stroller, yeah, and Maggie has the reaction that a typical movie character would have, and that you and the audience probably have, which is if and probably you as a person, like in your life, if you were at a bar and you saw someone with a Shih Tzu in a stroller, you'd be like. All right. Don't know what's going on there. That's a whole thing. <laughs> like, yeah, God can only imagine what's going on in their head. And then, of course, she becomes, not literally, but she becomes the dog and the stroller lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, there are multiple scenes where uh, she's, like, praising Reuben for, for pooping uh, on the grass. Mm-hmm. Where it's just someone jogs by and looks at her weird. And she yeah. sort of is, like, a little awkward about uh having you know been witnessed doing that and then later on when she runs into annie at the coffee shop mm-hmm. like when they're catch chatting and catching up there's like people behind annie in line who are like tapping their feet and like looking at their watch and being like oh these obnoxious like oh they're getting ketchup oh she's right she's got engaged or she's married and mm-hmm. she's an influencer blah 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 i got places to be i want to get my coffee mm-hmm. and there's like there's multiple scenes of like people just sort of witnessing this behavior but like we don't get to empathize with them. They're extras. We don't even get a close up of their face. Yeah. We're with the people who are doing the things that are sort of socially considered uncool and obnoxious. Yeah. And like those are the people that we are given to to love. <laughs> and, that is, and, that, and that is the thing in, uh, in general that impressed me about this movie. So as a sitting down to watch a horror movie or sitting down to watch a monster movie, like this is a disappointing experience, but mm-hmm. as a sitting down as the host of a podcast about Judy Greer, um, one... All of the things that make this movie sort of unique in its genre delighted me, but also the way that those specific unique things tie into her as an actor really well. Uh Like, that she is really feminine and she is really friendly. She is America's best friend, and she, and like, you do want to root for her, and she is a little bit silly, and she does kind of seem like that white lady like the, the thing about Judy Greer is like she's our white lady yeah <laughs> like, yeah like she does someone who would go to dog yoga or whatever like yeah like okay Judy Greer you could go to dog yoga <laughs> like and uh as uh like the movie that has Judy Greer in the lead I'm so glad that it's like not about her trying to get custody of her daughter in like a Complicated trial or something like that, or she's like she, or you know, she's a forensic scientist who's uh, being stalked by a serial killer, or like any number of things that wouldn't be like a perfect role for her. Where Maggie, yeah. it feels just like a perfect role for her.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where she's she's going on dates that aren't successful. Her boss is giving her the runaround. She's frustrated with these like very. um the, these life goals that are relatable to a lot of people, um, yeah, it it does feel like like there's not there's not the the weight that's given to to something like that. Like we're not we're not putting her on a pedestal. Like yeah, she's the best. She's the next door neighbor. She's like your kooky your kooky next door neighbor with a murder dog. She's your babysitter. She's your babysitter. Yeah, exactly. Judy Greer, America's did, I, babysitter. I don't,
1: know, I don't know if we mentioned that she was she was Annie's babysitter. Was that part of the synopsis? No, no, that was not. Oh, just because okay, so. it felt
0: it was yeah yeah it anyway, felt like a clunky detail she, to me
1: that is their relationship is she used to babysit Annie when they both lived in Wisconsin
0: yeah and then and then they keep making references to it like that's a that's a thing <laughs> there's there's a there's a screenwriting cliche that really bothers me where um two characters who are siblings um the the movie will tell you that they're siblings because they'll refer to each other as bro or sis. yes. and that makes me want to tear my hair out. But Annie in this movie referring to Maggie as my former babysitter. (laughs) Y'all, I I keep, I keep saying that like, like, like I, I, am a frustrated writer. I, I have my, my fits and starts with my writing projects um, that mostly tend to be scripts. And then I watch something like this and I say, why am I not really trying? Because they can do it. They were successful. What my former babysitter like? I could come up with something at at least as insipid as that. I should. It's 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 just me. It's not a lack of talent. It's just because I'm not putting myself out there, or I don't have the right connections. It's connections. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, that that is my third. Podcast, Reglin is owed so many things by the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's about time that we move on from my personal gripes with the world to the next portion of our podcast, the um, episode three, and still to be determined as to what this is going to be, where uh, we pitch a segment to each other. Yeah. Um. You know what? I'm sick. And a little grumpy. Yeah. So I'm going to go first. You I'm just going to take up that space like Maggie would. Um, Get so- it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm
1: not going to even ironically say yes, but you know what I mean.
0: I sure do. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> Gosh and golly. Um, <laughs> so, um... My thought was, um, this is a movie that came out in 2020, um, but it was part of this sort of already structured into Hulu release. Um, But then I was thinking to myself, as I often do about movies, what if this movie came out in 2005 when there was a sort of heyday of viral marketing and... um, extended content um i remember specifically uh the tv series heroes had a lot of like online tie-ins where you had to like go to the website and get like more story about new characters more content and that didn't really go anywhere but it was it was definitely a thing for a while so my thought was um What if this movie came out in 2005 and there was a gimmicky online tie-in? In Um, in that version of the movie, what's the online exclusive content that Judy Greer had to participate in? And I am calling it Extended Cinematic Judyverse.
1: Okay, I like it. I like it. The Extended Cinematic Judyverse So many of those websites, so many of those little ARGs going on back then.
0: Oh yeah, and all the all the viral marketing, and you know, I remember um, when the American version of The Ring came out. um, I was in college, and they left uh, videotapes of the Ring movie on really? our campus oh, and we man. found one like like my friends and I in our dorm found I mean this was this is a little early this was like 2002, 2003 and we found this videotape and we watched it and it's what? supposed to be like it's supposed to be the like creepy yes, haunted V-tape. yeah and we watched it and we lost our minds laughing at it because we were like, what is this? Because out of context, when there's not like shadows and scary music playing and there's no tension, you're just like, this is ridiculous. I would have been so scared. I can't believe you laughed. <laughs> I, would been, I would have been shaking in my boots. It was, it was a beautiful sunny day on the quad and we just lost our minds laughing at it and then probably went to the dining hall and no about one died. I say
1: that must have been the most frightening moment of your life.
0: no. So my my thought for the um the viral marketing around this movie is that um Maggie has a dating profile that goes up on the various dating websites that were around at that time like I'm like I know OkCupid was around at that time. I think match.com yeah. was a big one. Yeah. Match.com probably eHarmony. Uh yeah, so I think that uh that Judy Greer has to um, you know, take like dorky photos of herself and they, and they come up with, with a profile and kind of put that out there, um, into the various markets. Um, I was also thinking that it could, uh, be synced up with, um, writing her, Maggie quote unquote, writing into, uh, syndicated advice columns, asking about, uh, her love life and, uh, how to, um, how to balance that with being a new dog owner.
1: I like it. I like it. Cause I think what you're going to get is a lot of people seeing Judy Greer, beautiful actress. Oh yeah. Um, and messaging and getting reply. Well, make sure to go to theaters March 19th. Oh and my God. Like, yeah. Can you go with me? Like, not <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, a date. That sounds good. March 19th, a little bit far away, but I'll, I'll- we'll put it in the books. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> they dox her and they just get like, like Jason Bloom's address and <laughs> he's never heard from again.
1: Oh geez. That got so dark. <laughs> um, I, for me, when I was thinking about 2005, I was thinking about what was I doing on the web in 2005? And the answer is flash games. And so <laughs> I think they set up a little adoption agency, little dog uh, adoption agency website and it's got, like, all these little flash toys. You know, Neopets. It's the era of Neopets. Oh, was it ever. So what you do is you pick out a dog. And Judy Greer's involvement, thankfully, is someone just walked up to her with, a like, a digital recorder and said, Can you read these six lines? And she goes, Oh, so cute. You did it. Oh, no, not what you thought. And whatever. <laughs> and basically, you pick a dog. You learn about it. Um, you... Do little little Neopets games with it and inevitably it turns into a horrible monster that breaking the fourth wall destroys the very URL of the website and then what's left is just like everything is torn up and it says go see Good Boy in theaters March 13th.
0: Imagine if you didn't actually um, play the game the whole way through and you were just like, this is such a fun thing for yeah. my little niece or nephew, yeah. my little brother, sister. I can tell you, knowing the video game community. You would, would call be... them and say, hey, nephew, did oh. I find a website for you? <laughs>
1: I get, Knowing the video game community on archive.org, someone would have like, oh, yeah, I recoded it so it works with the new, <laughs> new internet. We can play all of these games that we used to. It's like, finally, we can play the Space Jam integrated, you know. <laughs> Uh, promotional games, um, it would have a cult following for sure. Oh, absolutely. So as we mentioned, um, whether intentional or not, Good Boy is somewhat of a stealth remake of Monkey Shines by George Romero. Right. And it got me thinking, what if we stealth remade some other George Romero movies, but sort of made them fit into the persona of Judy Greer? So I invented a little segment called Romero and Judiet
0: okay, we're not doing this podcast anymore. Yeah,
1: that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. I enjoyed this final episode. Get out! Yep. Um, So there's a lot of George Romero movies. Uh, He made a lot of different horror movies. He started making films in the late 60s, and his last movie was uh, 2012 or something along those lines. So there's a lot to choose from. I would decide to go with a non-horror movie. Um, in the eighties, the early eighties, he made a movie called Night Riders, which was a big bomb because it is very hard to describe and strange. But basically, it is a retelling of the Knights of the Round Table using larpers who joust using motorcycles. And so, it is this traveling carnival of larpers who go to these different uh, fairgrounds and put on these little jousting tournaments. And in real life, they're as a like a theater troupe or whatever. They basically operate like the Round Table. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. I didn't know about this movie. That sounds really fun. It is
1: on Tubi. It is very cool. It is too long. And it is the kind of thing that's like, if this was today, it would never be made, but certainly it would be made as a TV show and not like a weird episodic movie that just seems to keep going. Um, Ed Harris as the King Arthur type. Beautiful. Love it. (laughs) Uh, Young Ed Harris. A little Ed Hare. Yeah, Um. So I thought, how do we get Judy Greer into Knight Riders and then the answer was very simple it's Knights of the Round Table as a roller derby team so Judy Greer is uh Queen Arlene or King you 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 know I'm not good with roller derby pun names there's probably some really good uh Galahad or something yeah she could just be mean Queen Arlene yeah mean Queen Arlene or something like that but at any rate there's there's Galahad there's Lancelot She has her own gender-swapped Guinevere. Or maybe not gender-swapped Guinevere, man. It's the 21st century, baby. (laughs) Um, And they are a traveling roller derby team. But they, unlike the world of roller derby, which is very rough and very cruel and and a lot of low-down tricks... They have this code that they live by, and their code is constantly tested as they play against all these different teams. And she, it's up to her to maintain all of her knights and make sure they stick to this straight, this strict code of ethics. Um, so, I think, I think Night Riders, starting Judy Greer as a roller derby captain, is how I would uh, remake a Romero movie with Judy Greer.
0: That I, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yes. Um, for my answer. I, I was doing a little um, podcast segment chess in my mind and trying to say two steps ahead because I thought you were going to say season of the witch. Oh. I thought you were going to say Judy Greer in season of the witch remake. That would witch. be very nice. Oh yeah, but I mean, I I am I'm, I'm here for Mean Queen Arlene, <laughs> like all the way, all the way. Um, like like yeah, permanent slot in my letterbox top four. <laughs> um, my thought was a uh, a remake of. Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Um, So in, in you know, Dawn of the Dead, um, I always get them confused, but I did my research to make sure I had the right of the dead movie. There's
1: many dead movies. Because I
0: always fuck it up 100% of the time. But Dawn of the Dead is the one where it's um, survivors who hole up in a mall, in a suburban mall, um, and are keeping the zombies at bay. And it's um, sort of this, this satire on eighties consumerism and, and how, you know, um, you know, going to the mall kind of zombifies you and kind of deadens you with all of this mindless consumerism. Um, so don't really have malls these days. Um, so my thought was, um, a, um, a, a current day remake where um, the survivors of the zombie outbreak haul up in a convention center where a fan convention is supposed to happen, uh, and that Judy Greer is playing herself, and she's at the convention center because she's supposed to be a panelist um, for you know whatever um, TV show or. Film um, that the franchise is that the that the fans are are celebrating. Um, so so her character's arc, the Judy Greer playing Judy Greer character's arc is um, about her struggling with needing to survive and needing to be tough and make tough decisions and be a little violent and a little ruthless versus um, her long game of maintaining her sweet and friendly reputation, because it's still in the days of the zombie outbreak where people still have their smartphones and can still kind of take video of her. And she's kind of hoping that maybe things will go back to normal and I can go back to being America's best friend. So she's kind of trying to weigh like, like OK, do I really go into tough survivor mode or do I try to make maintain who I am to, you know, and survive this. And, um, I think that would be an, an interesting, uh, conflict for her to, to play.
1: I love that. And I think you're shortchanging yourself saying that, uh, you know, if, if only you didn't fall for tropes, like, hello, my brother, <laughs> like <laughs> then you would have, you would have produced screenplays because you're out here pitching diamonds, like galaxy quest meets Dawn of the dead. <laughs> Like I'm on board
0: <laughs> with a little sprinkling of Zombieland. <laughs> a sprinkling of
1: Zombieland. That's that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's well, that'd be really great. Well, also, I'm... I really want to just a very quick little montage of all of the people in their anime costumes, like just totally fruitlessly swinging foam swords at these zombies. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. I I just imagine and and um yeah where where they just have yeah like 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 foam or or whatever kind of nerfed uh you know, uh, cosplay weapons because, well, we all remember what happened last year, you know, (laughs) um, all the kind of con drama, um, you know, that can, that can crop up. Also, I haven't been to a con in a while, but, um, my friends and I used to joke about con crud, which is everyone who's at the convention, um, gets the same head cold, like, like two days after. So, um, I I feel like like there's some some like gold to mine in there for jokes about like like a a, a spreading zombie apocalypse. Um, yeah, I think you could go you could go a lot of places with that. Awesome. Also also. I don't know. I, I feel like if if I was writing it, I I feel like there would be some mining of the sort of us versus them mentality of nerd culture. Um, you know, kind of showing up with the zombies, but also probably some infighting about like you know, well, you're more into fan fact- fiction, so you're not a real fan, and you know, I it could and, get really uh, it, deep.
1: It sounds like an opportunity for both literal and metaphorical gatekeeping.
0: Exactly. Uh, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. Well on that note, I think it's about time that we move on to uh, the last portion of the podcast, which is Judilization. Um, how does this film rank with the other films that we've watched for 96 Greers in terms of how well it uses the multiple talents of Dame Judy Greer? Um so Patrick, how would you rank Good Boy? Straight to the top. Me too. Yes. <laughs>
1: Uh, and i have to say as this podcast goes on i will be curious it is judilization um unfortunately always going to be tilted towards this lead role um i don't even know how long it will be till we get another lead role for judy greer um and i and i, I do think this particularly utilizes her well um in you know not just because she has the most screen time but like in in other ways of her persona and her acting and everything, but like it'll be this is going to be a tough one to dethrone. I think.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. As we were saying earlier, um, the sort of uh, America's uh, best friend persona is um, played magnificently here with the various. Um, with with the various struggles that the character is concerning herself with. Um, There's a lot of ambiguity and nuance, more than you would expect to get from a horror comedy that you just kind of randomly find on Hulu. Um, And, you know, it's a lot of it is due to her wonderful balance of being... um, a total sweetheart and a little eccentric and also a little entitled. Like, like, like like, yes. she's definitely someone who wants to get her way in, in a lot of, a lot of the, the roles that she takes on. So this was, um, a very well cast movie, at least as far as Judy Greer goes. Um, and of course, you know, you put her with, with a cute little scruffy dog. How can you go wrong? It's great. It's um, great. Love you,
1: Chico. <laughs> Chico podcast next. <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be like the reason that our Patreon opens and closes in a single month is yeah. that we do all the bonus Chico episodes and everyone's like what the hell are you talking about no yeah
0: although it, it's it's a dog so we couldn't do 96 chicos it would have to be more like um 14 chicos 14 chicos yeah. is true <laughs> that's okay we love you chico we love you chico um yeah yeah and and I agree with you I think it's it's going to be really difficult to to find any movie um um that tops uh, her performance in in Good Boy it was really enjoyable to 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 see her get a role like this and to as always knock it out of the park. But the next two movies that we have coming up will um be vying for that coveted title of best Um The next podcast that we'll be doing is uh, the. 2011 Oscar contender, The Descendants. Uh, and then after that, we will be watching the classic 2001 JLo lo rom-com, The Wedding Planner. You can follow us on Mastodon at 96greers at laserdisc.party to keep up to date with um, our thoughts on Judy Greer and podcasting and podcasts about Judy Greer uh, and whatever else I maybe maybe stuff that i try to put on my personal account but i forgot to switch one over to the other and then it's out of context and weird because that happens sometimes when you have multiple accounts it happens um but until next time thank you so much for joining us i'm reg
1: and i'm patrick and,
0: and say hey, goodbye, goodbye to these